On today's episode of The Bonus Years, we discover that movies are in fact better than books. We talk about chronic illness and acute rejection. Stay tuned. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode 002. This is it, number two of the Bonus Years podcast. My name is Ben. And I'm Brooke. And we're here to talk a little bit today about um, chronic illness. But (laughs) before we do that, I know, right? Woo! Everybody stopped listening. Before you do that, before we do that, we're going to do what we like to do. It's a little bit of an icebreaker at the beginning of each episode. And today, um, Brooke, I'm going to let you pick. (gasps) I get to pick the card? Any card. Pick a card, any card. Here we go. Whew, it's a would you rather. Okay, here we go. I know your answer already. You do? Uh-huh. Okay. Would you rather never read another book or never watch another movie? That is probably the easiest question ever. I would never read another book. Yeah, and I would never watch another movie. Sounds like we are a match made in heaven right For there. For sure. Now... All the best movies come from books. Thank you. So if I watch a movie, um, the chances of me reading a book, quote unquote, would be pretty high. Yeah, but you miss all the good details. Yeah, but I'm a visual person. Oh, so okay. And just, I do all that in my head when I'm reading. I visualize the whole thing. I get distracted. And I get disappointed when I watch a movie. Wow. So. Well, that'll do it for us today on the bonus <laughs> years. That's really all you ever needed. Uh, no, today we're talking about chronic illness, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the world, a lot of people in the U- United States of America who suffer from chronic illness. And while, you know, Brooke is very special in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, she's just one of those people who have yeah. to deal with that. Um, and many of you maybe who are listening today uh, suffer from chronic illness as well. And so we wanted to shed a little bit of light on chronic illness and what it really means to put a face to that phrase. And so I think that'll be really cool uh, to do today. So I think maybe we should start with what is chronic illness? Well, chronic means ongoing. So uh, when you are ongoingly sick um, a lot of chronic illness um, I'll just speak kind of broadly right yeah. now but a lot of a lot of chronic illness is um, where you get a diagnosis and there's no cure for it and so you're just kind of stuck living with whatever it is and those symptoms uh, for the rest of your life um, it's different because it's not immediately life-threatening um, but it affects your everyday and your quality of life yeah. so no bueno no bueno and there's, I mean, it's not just like one illness oh, uh, no. that's related to this. I mean, it could be, you know, yours so happens many. to be liver transplants. Uh, and what other kind of chronic illnesses are out there? Well, uh, because of the liver transplant, I have chronic fatigue um, and l- chronic migraines. <laughs> there's lots of chronics that come from something else. Um, lupus, like any autoimmune disorder. So lupus or... Um, no, I can't think of anything except lupus. On the spot. <laughs> Multiple it's, sclerosis. It's a MS, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be something like that. It could be something like migraines or fibromyalgia where you are in pain all the time. Right. Um, and a lot of a lot of what I personally deal with is what people call invisible illness. So you look healthy to most people, and then when they hear your story, they're like, How do you live like that? So, I mean, kind of outlined it a little bit, but what what chronic, quote unquote, illnesses do you have? Yeah, so I still have autoimmune hepatitis, which caused 
uh, my liver to fail. To and that's with. hereditary. Um, autoimmune disorders tend to be genetic, uh, but they genetic, manifest. That's the right yeah, word. They manifest differently through generations. So my mom has an autoimmune disorder. I have one totally different, but still the same. Um, and because it's autoimmune, it's ongoing. So um, some people get a liver transplant, for instance, when they have like Hep A, B, or C. And then they recover, and it's a lot less bumpy. Uh, my journey has been a lot more roller coastery than a lot of people. That's not like professional language there. Roller coastery. Uh, Google it. I'm yeah. sure it's there. Um, because because I have an autoimmune disorder, so my body's always kind of go- fighting against itself. That's not very kind. It's not kind. It's really, really lame. And that's kind of put you and when you talk about roller coaster, I mean it. It really. I mean, just in the 10 years we've been married, we, we had a good stretch of about five years. You thought th- for a while you were my lucky I charm. I thought I was her lucky charm. She had not, I mean, she had some, you know, issues that popped up. She had not spent one night in the hospital um, since we'd been married. So I took that as a personal, like, uh, personal uh, victory for myself. Yeah, five years. Five years strong. And then we had it you know probably almost every year and a half to two years we had a stint in the hospital yep with um kind of a what they were calling uh was it acute rejection acute liver rejection not cute (laughs) acute 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 rejection yeah um and so that what does that look like for you when when you have a, Mm. a a rejection like that what does that entail what's treatment like what's it feel like what's it look like um i think i could start mentally talking about like it how frustrating it is um because a lot of times um i I feel like i can't trust my own body so i will not feel any different when i get my blood drawn to do like my check-in um and then they'll call and be like you need to come into the hospital and I, i feel frustrated because like my body isn't very trustworthy in communicating where i'm actually at um and that causes you yeah i mean that causes you to doubt a lot and you question all the time all the time yeah like if i ever happen to notice a symptom and i even like i think it was a couple days ago i was like your eyes look a little yellow and you like i immediately after i said i went ooh, Ooh. how's she gonna react to that but i don't also want to walk around on eggshells around her uh even if they're yellow eggshells shut up Anybody who knows anything about the liver, jaundice, jaundice, right? Uh, I mean, babies are born. Most most babies who are born are, you know, of some level of jaundice. Uh, Even like Braxton when he was born, remember that we had to go get him tested. He had to go sit under the light. Yeah, he had to go sit under a light uh, because his you know little liver wasn't working at its full uh, level yet. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's great now. He's good. Uh, but that was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I actually know what this doctor's talking about when he talks about jaundice. So, yeah. um, but I mean, even that was a moment where, you know, a couple of days ago I was like, your eyes look a little yellow. And yeah. you're like, isn't, is it more le- yellow than normal? And I was like, oh, I, I've done I went a bad into thing. a tailspin on the inside. Um, which I mean, out, outwardly, because mm-hmm. you've done this and dealt with this for 15 years, uh, you're very good with most people not knowing anything about it. Yep. Um, do you feel like that's like a symptom of having a chronic illness is you get to the place where like you are so good at, at covering it up? No, I mean, maybe for some people, I think for me, uh, I cover it up well because I'm a performer achiever. So Enneagram three, um, I don't want my health to hold me back from things. Um, and so, um, I try to be pretty transparent about my health. 
Um, but I also have like a really high pain tolerance. Yeah. So I function a lot of days in pain and people just don't know. Um, and so they don't find out until I'm like in bed for a day or two. Right. With it. Well, and it, for you, I mean, we, we've talked about this all the time, but like if you didn't do things, if you didn't live life when you were in pain, you would not be doing anything. Right. Uh, because, I mean, they're, I mean, unfortunately, more often than not, you're living in some level of pain almost every day. Right. Which most people who know you wouldn't know, wouldn't that. know that. And that's kind of one of the, I think there's probably a lot of people who suffer from chronic pain, chronic illness that, that have to make that choice at some point. I'm still alive and I want to have a life and yeah. I'm just going to have to suck it up and go. Yeah. Or you start dying. Yeah. And you, you adapt and you, you do things to to overcome those issues and mitigate them in some level, whether that's by medical treatment, therapy, uh, counseling, yep. even environmental things. Like uh, my wife sleeps in a pitch black room. Yep. Uh, we have blackout curtains. And it's kind of funny because our son, Braxton, is the same way. He absolutely has to have a pitch black. And I could probably sleep in any situation uh, with light. And my daughter is like every light on mm-hmm. possible. Um so, I mean, there's things that people do. Our neighbor across the street, they just built their house and they built uh, for their master bedroom. They built like double thick walls and like wanted to make sure that it was a quiet place because she suffers from uh, migraines as well. So, I mean, it's just it's so interesting to see how people who with chronic illness really just overcome those obstacles and, and adapt and adapt. It's yeah. really, really cool. Well, I think one of the more frustrating things um, is that I need so much sleep. Yeah. But I never feel like I'm rested. So <laughs> how many hours do you think I sleep a night, Ben? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think it's fair because right now when we're recording this, we're in the middle of quarantine, COVID-19 That's stuff. True. And so she's going to bed at like midnight. I'm a little anxious these days. Um, and she's always been kind of a, a night owl. Um, and so she would stay up late and sleep. In. Yeah. So it's really hard to judge. I mean, you woke up today at like 10 a.m. But I went to bed at midnight. So 10 hours. Yeah. So I need a lot of sleep. Like eight, eight's the minimum for me to like function well. But I stayed up with you last night till midnight and then I woke up at seven and worked. Right. There's a thunderstorm this morning. I heard it. You did. did. She was awake enough for that. I was awake enough to say, oh, that's good sleeping weather. Yeah. (laughs) Back to sleep. Yeah. Um, Just, just weird things people don't think about. Like I need a routine with my sleep. Yeah. That's a big Uh, one. So, I mean, what is it like living I mean, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what is it like living with a chronic illness? Hmm. Um, I don't really know another way. Well, I mean, you didn't have one <laughs> until you were 20 or 19. Yeah. Um, I think it f- has forced me in some ways to, to learn boundaries that other people haven't had to learn. Yeah. So when you have an unlimited pool of energy and resource in your body, uh, you don't have to think about what you say yes and no to as much. Um, I was up last night reading about spoon theory. Have I told you about this? No. Okay. So um, there's a woman who has um, chronic illness who was trying to explain to a friend what it's like. Um, and and it's now called the spoon theory. And it's pretty common around people with chronic illness. If you like search for like spoonies on Instagram, you'll... Spoonies? Spoonies. Okay. Uh, you'll find these people. But she basically gathered up a bouquet of spoons at a diner and handed them to her friend. And said okay talk to me about your day and so she's planning her morning and getting ready and and then every time like 
um, a person with chronic illness has to evaluate, like, will I do this or this? She would stop her friend who's healthy and say, oh, that's a spoon. Um, and so just kind of seeing how we reserve our energy throughout the day um, in a very visual way. Um, that's, I think, why it caught on so much in uh, the chronic illness community, mm. um, because we always need to have a spoon in reserve because we just don't we can't plan every second of our life. So it's like keep a spoon in your back pocket um, in that theory. Like, and the spoon represents your, your energy. energy. Got yeah, it. Just a quantifiable energy energy level. So we may start the day at the same time with the same amount of energy, you and I. Um, but I'm always thinking like, well, do I want to shower and put makeup on or shower and do my hair or no shower? Like I'm having to make all these like tiny decisions when other people just do their routine. Which I mean, I don't think is all that bad. I mean, it's I not. probably need to adopt some of that uh, forward thinking attitude because as you well know, I run myself into the ground Mm -hmm. and i don't even know it until i'm like passed out on the couch yeah we can grow in self-awareness yeah we could or we could play a game no i'm just kidding well so like even recently like we had we have a lot of our best conversations in the hot tub at night yeah we do um we had a conversation probably a month or two ago about how i was using all my energy before i got home um at work and it's because i do want to do well at what i'm doing like i can't do anything halfway um and what i realized is like once I once I heard about spoon theory, I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm coming home with no spoon in reserve, and I'm all my spoons are gone at work, and so it's kind of helped me just reevaluate like where my energy is going during yeah. the day. And I wanted my best energy to be for my husband and my kids, and not the leftovers, which is like cranky, exhausted, zombie on the couch, broke. Well, thanks for uh, reserving some spoons. You're welcome. It's very sweet of you. Um, You know, I think somebody might be asking, I don't know who would ask this, but what is it like living with somebody with chronic illness? Yeah. Tell us what it's like being married to somebody who (laughs) is in pain a lot. I think um, for anybody who's married to somebody with chronic, especially a chronic pain illness, um, I think the things that really are, are probably the biggest struggle would be uh to remain empathetic mm. towards that person you know if you experience something uh by by like by way of uh a relationship that that you're close to that that they're in pain but you are obviously physically not in pain uh it starts off i, I would say it's almost like you know the most empathy that you can have because you care about this person so deeply mm-hmm. and then that you know, as time goes on, I, I feel like that is harder to maintain a level of empathy, not only because uh, you're you're used to it, but also because it is hard to maintain that level of, of empathy um, for a long extended amount of time. I mean, it's a, it, not that it, again, is not awful and exhausting for the person who's actually physically feeling right. these things, but there's also like the realities of life, like you've got to take care of things for them and you've got yep. to provide um you know medical support you've got to take care of the house you got to do other things you know when they are not physically able to yeah so i think you know i think the thing that we've walked through uh as we process through that is you know how do i maintain not being uh, resentful right right um because it's an awful feeling as somebody who deeply cares about the person that's going through this to feel resentful towards them 
because uh, it 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 can feel you know Brooke. I mean, you we talked about this before, where you feel like I could be or I am resentful towards you, and it really isn't you. It's the situation. It's the situation, and it's the it's the pain itself that I might resent in some way. Yeah, and I don't know if resent is the is the right word. Uh, I mean, I actually hate it. Yeah, I hate that that's something that you deal with. I hate that that's something that our family deals with, and so for her. I think it's probably hard to separate that because it is so much who you are. I mean, that it's really weird, but that mm-hmm. pain is part of you. Yeah. And and so for somebody to be frustrated with that or, or for that to affect somebody in a negative way, I know it's hard for you. So I think anybody like me who's married to somebody with a chronic pain illness has walked through that where you feel like I, I want to have empathy. And I have had empathy, and mm-hmm. I do have empathy. Yeah. But I think there's moments when it's a little bit harder to access that empathy in the moment, especially when there's a lot of pressures from outside sources. Like, yeah. you know, I got to go to work, or I got to pack the lunches for the kids, or, you know, fill in the blank with any number of things you got to do to have a, you know, right. successful American life, right? Right. And that can be a lot of pressure. So I think that's a large reason why somebody's empathy might go up and down. But, uh, you know, I think those are the, the things that it's it's keeping that open line of communication keeping connected uh fighting for unity um even in those moments that yeah it's probably, us against the illness not us against each other yeah you are not my enemy no and i think that's something that we do really good at sometimes and really bad at for at, sure at other times and it really depends on a lot of different things yeah. but i think those are for me is probably the biggest challenges living with somebody with a chronic illness is just that remaining empathetic um and you know, not getting into a resentful state, especially resentful towards the person. Yeah. Um, that's that's challenging. Would you say it's harder uh, because I do have such a high pain tolerance that like you don't always see that I'm in pain. I'm just like, I look like I'm being lazy. Yeah, or... that is that is really challenging. I mean, because, you know, if somebody's in the hospital or somebody has like a broken arm, mm. they're in a cast and you can see it and everyone else is like, oh, OK, we got to be careful. Right. But when you're suffering from a migraine, there could be zero physical uh, signs of that migraine. Right. Or depression or anxiety, or depression or whatever anxiety. it like is. Like those in the things moment. are not, like I can't look at you and go, she has a migraine. Um, so that is hard. And it, it's not only hard for me, it's hard for our kids because yeah. uh, we're all loud. Uh, so loud. So loud. <laughs> and, you know, so. I forget really quickly too because again it's not like it's a cast that's there on her arm that I can say I got to be careful around that cast there's no physical sign and again I said I'm very visual so like if it's not in front of me I'm not thinking about it what if I wore a sign that said I have migraine I have migraine we'll get you like a whiteboard or a a -a etch-a-sketch then you would see me and go oh okay she has a migraine um I mean that that is probably your I think you hit the the nail on the head there i mean it's it's hard because it's not visible you can't see it yeah and it's easy to forget out of sight out of mind right yeah well and this is probably a whole other episode we could do on depression and anxiety yeah because when we got married you knew i had those things um but i remember the first conversation we had where i didn't realize you woke up happy every day yeah and you didn't realize that i woke up and had to like convince myself to get out of bed every day yeah. And like, it's just two different worlds and that's invisible too. Like yep. you just don't see that until you're living with it up close. It's true. What do you think? I mean, if you look back at over the last 15 years of, of your liver, mm-hmm. uh, the liver started liver at all, started at all. Yeah. What, do you, what would be probably your number one biggest struggle? 
you know, I think it's just really hard that um, I see other people who have had transplants and they seem to be doing so much better than me. Um, so somewhat comparison related, like, oh, we've right. sort of been through the same thing, but I feel like my struggle is just ongoing um, and that there's no no end in sight uh, to symptoms, to frustrations that we might be dealing with. Um, it's just, yeah, it's hard to just be hopeful. Yeah. Beyond that. Okay. So what's, what would you say is your biggest victory? Um, biggest victory. I think I know myself better than most 35 year olds would. Um, Yeah. Like, even though I've said things about my body not being reliable and not trustworthy, like I know my own limits, my boundaries. Um, I typically can tell you what I need, um, or tell people what I need. Um, and, um, I can communicate fairly clearly about what it's like to go through what I'm going through, um, which I feel like doesn't make me a better human, but it makes me one that people can talk to. Yeah. Um, cause I see, I seemingly attract people who, um, are going through hard things and want a, a place to talk. And I feel like I heard all, I've heard all the cliches, um, and all of the like really good intentions of people, um, and can speak to, and, and I don't feel like I have to have all the answers when other people need to talk. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there is a, a line of people waiting to talk to you most of the time about yeah. what's going on in their life. And it always amazes me how open people, uh, are with you almost immediately. Hmm. You have a way of disarming people. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Before we go, yeah. what's one thing you wish people knew about living with chronic illness? Hmm. Just one? Just one. Hmm. That's really hard. Uh, not because there's like so many things I wish people know, but um, I think in this moment, uh, I would like people to know that that from the time our alarm goes off in the morning, we have to work at everything. Um, and so even on a day where we're not in pain, there's still a pretty concentrated amount of effort to reserve our energy um, and to decide what's important. And so uh, when we say no to things uh, and people around us don't understand why um, we just don't have the same amount of energy uh, in reserve that other people do so I say no to a lot just so that I have enough for my family it's good well thank you for listening everybody I, uh, man it's really cool to, to be able to sit with my wife and share just kind of our heart and what we've experienced and so we hope you enjoyed listening today Uh, If you did, please subscribe and rate and like this podcast. Uh, If you did enjoy it, leave a comment. Let us know. Uh, We'd love to hear from you directly. What's uh, what's a way people can reach out to you? Uh, Well, my website, bonusyearsblog.com. I've got Bonus Years on Facebook and Instagram and uh, email. So, brooke at bonusyearsblog.com. Brooke at bonusyearsblog.com. There it is. Thanks for tuning in today and be sure to keep listening. We've got a lot more coming.